It's a serious disease with a long history, dismantling armies, killing kings, and spreading across the globe. Wherever it went, it was blamed on foreigners and enemies, and it stigmatized people. Today we're going to talk about syphilis and what's happening in BC, especially when it comes to births. I'm Amy Amanti, and welcome to the Midwives Association of BC podcast, where we will keep you, our members, informed about the latest news and discussions, all relevant to midwifery in the province of British Columbia. I feel really privileged to be sitting um, with two doctors in the space today. So we have uh, Dr. Laura Sove and Dr. Chelsea Elwood with us. Um, I'd love to know from both of you a bit about your practice. So um, Laura, why don't we start with you? What's your What's your practice? Yeah, so I'm a pediatrician who cares for kids with complicated infectious diseases, uh, including congenital syphilis, but also things like HIV and other complicated infections. Chelsea, how about for you? So I'm a general OBGYN, um, and I did some extended training in something called reproductive infectious disease, and we really focus on sort of infections in pregnancy and gynecologic infections. Um, so I have just a general practice where I'm out there catching babies and doing gyne and things like that. And then I also happen to have the privilege of working with Laura and a number of the infectious disease docs at Oak Tree Clinic, where we do the care of sort of congenital syphilis, patients with syphilis in pregnancy, HIV, things like that. So I'm, I'm looking for a little bit of context around syphilis and some of the social um, intersections of syphilis. What can you share with me about uh, what you know in that regard? Because syphilis has been around for such a long time and the, the nature of syphilis as a sexually transmitted or congenitally transmitted infection, it, it, it comes with a lot of stigma. Um, and some of that stigma is related to the sexually transmitted component to it. Some of it is from the historical sort of things that had happened around the study of syphilis. And if people are interested looking at the Tuskegee trials and sort of what happened in the U.S. Um, up until like the 70s or 80s around, and a lot of the information we have medically around managing syphilis is a really fascinating social story in the context of medical care that, that people should really look at and understand where they're coming from. Um, but what we see, as with all infectious diseases, uh, we saw it during the pandemic with COVID. Where'd you get your COVID? How'd you get your COVID? Um, syphilis, when you make a diagnosis of syphilis, you do need to understand the stigma that's associated with that diagnosis. And although we are seeing syphilis in individuals with risk factors, um, and, and intersectionalities, and Laura can talk a little bit about that. We are also seeing um, syphilis in those individuals who don't have those traditional risk factors, but it is comes with a social stigma attached to it. And without, when you make that diagnosis, if you don't address it, um, you are going to miss opportunities for engagement and care. So right now, we can we are seeing syphilis across all um, social groups, but we are seeing. Um, some groups that experience um, other barriers to seeking care who are more impacted. So, for example, um, we're seeing more cases in people who use substances. And so a lot of times people who use substances in pregnancy face stigma related to that. And so there can be real barriers to, to engaging in care. Um, other groups that, that we see impacted in, in a particular way is people who experience a lot of systemic racism because they often have barriers to engaging in care because care might not be welcoming. And so we really need to think about the intersectionalities of substance use, of systemic racism, of poverty, 
when we're thinking about how we support uh, families impacted by syphilis? I got so many questions because one of them essentially is, is, is about congenital syphilis and what that is and why we should be caring about that. When people uh, are pregnant and they have syphilis during their pregnancy, they can actually pass the syphilis on to the baby. And the babies can range from being asymptomatic at birth to being very, very sick at birth. But without treatment, eventually they will become very sick. And so we really want to make sure that we treat it uh, as soon as we can and where possible try to prevent the syphilis in the babies by treating the pregnant people before they uh, deliver. Despite the fact that this is a historic disease, we're in in a time in BC right now where we're starting to see significant rates of congenital syphilis again in something that is very preventable and sort of manageable. We had uh, several decades where we had almost no congenital syphilis cases, maybe one or two a year for years and years and years. And now we're seeing more than we've ever seen in our careers. So what do you think is causing this surge in syphilis cases? Sexually transmitted infections tend to impact certain populations differently, but we know that sexual circles cross, basically, right? Um, And so we were seeing a lot more syphilis rates overall in uh, the MSM population, and we're seeing almost 80% of our cases of syphilis now in a heterosexual reproductive age population. And when you get to that position where you're in a heterosexual reproductive age population, inevitably somebody going to get pregnant. And if somebody's going to get pregnant with syphilis, then there's going to be a conversation about a baby afterwards. So it's that dyad that occurs in that population and that increase that we've seen that has resulted in us seeing a lot more cases of congenital syphilis and syphilis in pregnancy as well. Would a pregnant person know that they have syphilis? Most of the time, people don't know they have syphilis. So syphilis has always been a part of our first trimester screen, and it's in that you know, perinatal package that you send off and all the ticky boxes you do as you care for a pregnant individual. And you send that syphilis screen off and testing occurs at the BCCDC and you'll get an answer back. Occasionally, we'll have people present with symptoms consistent with syphilis and are diagnosed that way, but that is not the norm of what we see in maternity care. Um, And then we also have this new thing called a delivery screen, which we're doing in the third trimester. And we are picking up certainly cases of syphilis where they've had negative first trimester screening as a part of their antenatal screen. And then somewhere between the very beginning of pregnancy and the very end of pregnancy, they are acquiring syphilis. um, And they're showing up either at delivery or part of their third trimester screen with a new diagnosis of syphilis in pregnancy. Why and how does this relate to midwifery? Midwives are really important uh, maternity care providers. It's important that midwives understand that this is not just something that happens to men and it's not just something that happens to uh, people who are not pregnant, but that it's happening really a lot in pregnancy across BC and actually across the country right now. And I think that like midwifery definitely is focused on pregnancy, right? Um, But we do a lot of things in pregnancy that are women's health screening. Well, syphilis, it has implications for the pregnancy. But if we miss that diagnosis or we don't treat that individual in pregnancy, that has lifetime impacts um, down the road, which are important as well. The other thing too is we're seeing a lot of syphilis the whole province. 
there is nowhere that there is no syphilis and we're getting lots of remote calls. And so if you're providing care in more remote communities as a, as a midwife, a family doctor, an obstetrician, this needs to be on your radar now in a way that it really wasn't. You know, because uh, congenital syphilis can be fatal uh, to children, I think it's really important that we uh, identify the pregnant people who have syphilis and, and try to treat the syphilis before the baby is delivered. But even if we find the, the, the syphilis right at the time of delivery, we can treat the, the children uh, who have congenital syphilis and prevent the long-term uh, really terrible uh, consequences of congenital syphilis. What are some of those consequences? Well, they can range. So a lot of kids who are born with congenital syphilis are actually initially asymptomatic, but they can be very sick. They can look like they have neonatal sepsis. They can have liver failure. They can have a terrible rash all over their body. Um, so it, it can be quite variable. In the long term, they can also develop uh difficulty with their eyes, hearing problems, they can get uh, a pneumonia in, in, early, in their early life, uh, they can get bone problems, they can get teeth, uh, malformation of their teeth. So it's really a whole bunch of different things. Also, untreated uh, congenital syphilis leads to uh, learning problems and significant developmental delay sometimes. So on the maternal side, it kind of makes sense what Laura's describing too with how it impacts a pregnant individual, but also them later in life. Because you get that initial infection and you get something called a chancre. It's that painless thing that people have seen in textbooks, medical textbooks, that kind of thing. Um, and then the syphilis grows basically in blood and it disseminates through the whole body. So that's why we get those significant impacts on the whole body with syphilis. That's why we get the secondary rash that is classic on the palms and soles. Like if you see a rash on palms and soles is syphilis until proven otherwise. Um, we see it impact heart function. We rarely, but we do still see neurosyphilis cases where it's impacted brain function. So when you're talking about, yes, a pregnancy, but actually you're talking about the individual, pregnant individual in front of you for their lifetime. So making that diagnosis is really important because we can change the course of that illness for that individual all the way through. Is there any Anything that people should be aware of in terms of how we test for it, um, whether you're in a rural population or a, a large civic population, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, the, the testing of syphilis, it, it fits with some of the principles of how we test with infectious diseases. So we do uh, a test that identifies whether or not you have seen an organism, basically. So we do the initial trep, what's called treponemal-specific tests, right? And that is the body's response to the syphilis having been present at some point in time in that individual's lifespan, right? And then we do something called an RPR. And that's really kind of a, almost like a marker of disease activity. That's the majority of the testing that you will do. And you do it in the first trimester of pregnancy, very commonly, or wherever, whenever you get an individual engaged in care. I don't care when you do. If it's 28 weeks, 32 weeks, you do that screen. The, the circumstances where that doesn't work is because that first test is reliant on a body's immune response. If you have that initial chancre and you're in those first sort of four to six weeks of infection, that test doesn't work because your body hasn't had time to mount an immune response. So you need to test that lesion or that chancre specifically. And Laura and I were talking about it at the beginning. That's a phone a friend because every health authority, every sort of region of the province, including the Yukon, because we also serve the Yukon as well, um, how that testing is handled is a little bit different because it needs to go to a specialized lab. So if you think you got somebody who has 
primary syphilis, that very first thing that you see, um, I would call your friendly microbiologist on call. They are the loveliest people on the planet, and they will walk you through how they want you to test for that in your specific region because it does differ a little bit region by region about the handling of those samples, and it's very important to make that diagnosis um, because you do need to treat that individual because that is the highest risk time during pregnancy to pass it along to a baby. So how about questions that you get from midwives specifically? One of the questions we get in in one of the services that midwives provide that family doctors and obstetricians don't is home births. So can my client have a home birth? Um, And we don't recommend a home birth at this point in time because this, if you have syphilis in pregnancy, it is a high-risk pregnancy. By virtue of the fact that you have an infection that can cross a placenta and impact a baby, as we talked about either 10, 40, or like 70% of the time, you have a placenta that's at risk and you need additional monitoring during the labor that is very difficult to provide at home because that is a high-risk pregnancy with a potential impact on placental function. So the labor itself is not a low-risk labor. It's a labor where we'd recommend that you be in hospital so that we can monitor the client appropriately uh, for signs of sort of fetal distress during the labor process. And then afterwards, there's some specific things that Laura's really interested in. Yeah, so one of the things is that when a a baby uh, is born to a person who had syphilis in pregnancy, uh, a pediatrician needs to do a really careful physical exam and needs to do relatively urgently some lab tests, including a complete blood count, looking at liver function, and sending an RPR. That whole process is a little bit hard to do in a timely way when somebody is at home, Um, and Depending on the results of the pediatrician's review, the baby might also need a lumbar puncture and 10 days of IV penicillin, also which is impossible to do at home. And so just to make sure that that workup happens appropriately quickly, our preference would be that uh, a person with syphilis in pregnancy would deliver in the hospital. And remember, these are pregnancies that are at risk of stillbirth. And we have had cases of neonatal demise and babies pass away very quickly after delivery. So that also makes us a a higher risk pregnancy that we do recommend the hospital supports that are available. So like for for you, Chelsea, why is it important? What's the take home message about why this information needs to be shared? This information needs to be shared, A, because we are having an increase in cases, okay? So we are seeing much more prevalence of syphilis in the reproductive age. We're seeing it in pregnant individuals, and we are seeing babies impacted by congenital syphilis, and that has a long-term health effect for babies. That has a long-term societal effect. There's a big burden of what happens when syphilis occurs in that situation, okay? Um, I think the other reason, too, is, as, as Laura mentioned, there is a pediatric infectious disease service that will answer your questions. We also have the matching sort of reproductive infectious disease service where you can call us, BC Women's Hospital, Monday to Friday kind of story, um, and, and get some advice on that. Because in pregnancy, we will manage that pregnancy differently. That is no longer a low-risk pregnancy. That is a high-risk pregnancy. Um, and you do need support uh, across the board, midwives, family docs, and, and obstetricians need support to be able to manage that pregnancy appropriately because we are making different recommendations. You do have an intervention and a treatment that can improve outcomes in the form of penicillin. Good old-fashioned penicillin still works for syphilis, and nobody forgets their syphilis treatment because it's two very large needles. Um, but there is an intervention, 
but we do need to follow those pregnancies more closely. We actually do very um, highly subspecialized ultrasounds and we'll fly people down to sort of a couple of sites that are able to offer those uh, specific ultrasounds in pregnancy to look for signs of congenital syphilis. They can't be done in routine ultrasound institutions. Um, they're just not specialized enough to look at long bones and things like that. Uh, we do make recommendations of serial growth ultrasounds in pregnancy every sort of four or so weeks um, because we know that in a pregnancy, in addition to a sort of what Laura has described for you about the after part, we see babies whom placenta is significantly impacted. We see evidence of growth restriction. Um, we do see evidence of high drops, polyhydramnios or extra fluid. We do actually see stillbirths associated with syphilis. And those are things that can be intervened on during pregnancy to ensure a good outcome for both mom and baby, okay? And so that is really important because if you identify it, you can treat it and you can have a positive impact on the pregnancy in and of itself, but also a positive impact on that baby after and a positive impact on that, that family's life down the road. And the other group that we work really closely in partnership with is the uh, Sexually Transmitted Infection Program at BCCDC. So they keep track of every patient who has syphilis in the province, no matter whether they're pregnant or not. And the, the physicians at that program are tremendous experts in the, the management and treatment of syphilis in children, adults, pregnant people, whatever. And so they are also a group that is happy to chat with anybody who thinks they have a, a patient with syphilis and help to try to uh, make decisions about the, the management. So there's a whole bunch of resources that uh, midwives and family physicians and others can call if they have questions about syphilis in British Columbia or the Yukon. We are very happy to support deliveries in communities and support care in communities. That's one of our kind of really core principles at Oak Tree from our maternity care side. Um, because when we look at an individual, we're not just looking at their infectious disease or whatever. We're looking at them as a whole group, as a family, as a community they live in, the supports that they have. In. And um, being pregnant and having a baby is hard. And the after part is really hard. So Asking people to, for example, leave communities because there's no obstetrician present is actually a huge ask. And, and, and we can often, in, in the vast majority of cases, support care in communities. So what we're really asking for is to reach out and let us help you deliver this individual safely in your community and ensure that there's appropriate follow-up from both a maternal and a pediatric side, right? We're not asking you to ship them down to us. We occasionally will say, yeah, like we need one ultrasound. And the province has, you know, supports to be able to do that to get you to a place where you can have the proper ultrasound. But the general care can still occur in communities. And we do a lot of work via telehealth and a lot of what we call provider to provider consultation, where I just will chat with the midwife because they have the closest relationship with the client um, and support them in that way to be able to help walk them through. And also we will simply just like do a phone call, chat with a patient, explain to them sort of what are the risks of congenital syphilis. Is it that, you know, early syphilis where your risk of baby having syphilis is upwards of 70%? Is it like secondary syphilis where that risk is like 40%? Is it early, late, and late latent syphilis where that risk is like 10 to 20%? We can help risk stratify for patients so they kind of know what they're getting into um, in terms of uh, sort of potential risks for baby having syphilis. And really rely on our, our midwifery colleagues to 
support the follow-up and the loss to follow-up because what we see a lot of is loss to follow-up for babies and we spend a lot of time trying to track those babies down to ensure they have appropriate follow-up so you definitely can support all of that follow-up and care in communities in all but the most rare circumstances as a pediatrician I'm really invested in wanting uh, kids to have the best possible outcome and we can prevent serious long-term outcomes by making sure that if possible, people are treated during their pregnancy, but if not, by treating the baby and preventing the, the infants from being uh, uh, becoming very sick with syphilis. Um, and I think the other thing that it really highlights is the partnerships. So the partnerships between the infectious disease specialists and the pediatricians and family doctors and midwives as well as the obstetricians, because I think we all have a role in uh, addressing this uh, current syphilis epidemic. We used to think of syphilis as somebody else's problem, right? And we used to think of syphilis as only in certain populations, and we used to think of syphilis as only the classic risk factor individuals, right? So that concept is no longer applicable. We are seeing syphilis across the board. We are seeing syphilis in individuals who have no risk factors, classic risk factors. We are seeing syphilis where you have a negative first trimester screen and a positive delivery screen. So it's a little bit like all bets are off. Everybody is at risk of syphilis by virtue of the fact that you are sexually active and pregnant. And so that needs to change your approach to how you manage your patients. It needs to change how you chat with your patients about risk. Uh, it needs to change your approach about how you screen, like the delivery screen that we're talking about. Um, and if you do diagnose an individual, this is something where you can make a very positive intervention. Um, and we are here to support you in that. Okay, We do not expect everybody to be well-versed in the management of syphilis in pregnancy. There's some principles behind it, but it's coming back and it's not in everybody's lay language like a lot of things in. It is not in everybody's language about in sort of skill set and practice about how to manage a baby afterwards, but we are here to help you. So pick up the phone and call us and we will help you get through this and, and chat with your clients and, and support you in how to best manage the pregnancy for a positive outcome for both the client in front of you as well as that baby, both during pregnancy and afterwards. Big thank you to Dr. Laura Sove and Dr. Chelsea Elwood for sharing this uh, important conversation with us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share our podcast with others or on social media. It's a great way to get this important information out to those who need to hear it. MABC exists to support our members, and this podcast is in response to feedback as a means of member engagement. If you like this podcast or found it useful, let us know. We appreciate the feedback and we look forward to dropping our next episode. Until then, I'm your host, Amy Amanti. Have a great day.